one of these days, one or two of them had, had approached me. And that would be the first time I would be experiencing what I would later know as true children or out of school children. You know, I just see it was unusual. It was an unusual scene for me to see children during school hours who do not have, you know, sleep houses or footwear or sandals on. This is Gideon. As a university undergraduate, he encountered a problem in his local community. And, you know, they approached and we had a conversation. I was inquiring from them. What exactly is the problem? Well, what are you doing on the streets? And, you know, I got to understand that many of these children are living on the streets. Their parents are deserted them. Out-of-school children is a biting problem across the world. With over 200 million children out of school and 20 million in Nigeria alone, Gideon's encounter marked a turning point in his life. And that in itself betted the beginning of what I would call my foray into, you know, social development or, you know, social impact, you know, landscape uh, as a whole, because I took some of those children and rode them into school, you know, uh, from my pocket. And, you know, weeks after I learned that many of them left school again, you know, that is when the problem began to um, eat me to understand that this is not something that can be sorted with a makeshift solution. This is not something that can be addressed with a one-time uh, or one-size-fits-all response. And, you know, the curiosity, um, you know, started getting to me to start digging deep about the, the challenge that seemed to be very endemic. And that curiosity has today birthed one of the fastest rising and most impactful educational charities in Nigeria, with Gideon as its chief executive. So what is this organization and how is it changing the face of education in Nigeria? Welcome to the Climb Podcast, where we tell extraordinary stories of the African youth. Prince Gideon Olariwaju. I refer to myself as an educational development practitioner and um, a digital uh, learning innovator. I currently serve as the chief executive of two independent um, social think tank and non-governmental organization. The first one is called Area High. Area High is Aid for Rural Education Access Initiative. Uh, it's a nonprofit that was funded since 2014. And our mission or vision is to improve uh, the access and quality of education for disadvantaged children in rural communities. Gideon is one of Nigeria's leading educational development practitioners. His work in Nigeria has touched the lives of children in some of the most remote parts of the country. His incredible story starts in the southern Nigerian state of Oshun. Uh, so by birth, I was born into... You know, uh, a usual um, low to middle income family in southwestern Nigeria, particularly in Oshun State. Uh, my father um, used to work with you know the federal ministry of um, you know quite a number of you know federal parastatus. My mom is also a language teacher. She teaches um, then before retirement, 
uh, English, Yoruba, and French. So I was, you know, born literally into a family of, you know, somewhat, you know, educated academics as well. And that in itself, you know, uh, enabled, you know, an upbringing that is very, very much uh, tailored uh, towards, you know, pursuing, you know, academic excellence. Uh, but interestingly, I didn't grow up with my parents because both are always traveling, you know, traveling. My mom, you know, used to go to neighboring uh, West African countries as a language tutor. And my father, too, was far away. So uh, I, I grew up with my grandparents. Now, for someone who has dedicated his life to ensuring quality education for children, Gideon almost missed out on quality education himself. This was due to the rural area he lived with his grandparents. But like the perfect story, there was an intervention. At the point of transitioning from primary to secondary education, um, a teacher of mine who had, you know, followed my 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 journey, I decided to come around to my grandparents and say, you know what, uh, I think that the current learning environment that this boy is currently growing might potentially not afford him uh, the resources for him to grow up to live to his, his fullest potential. I think it would only be, you know, ethical if I take him from where, you know, he is currently residing with you and, you know, take him to uh, an urban center where I believe he would have, you know, um, more access to, you know, quality learning resources that can really shape his education trajectories. And I think that really, you know, made a, a crucial mark because I, I, I relocated, I, I got admission into a boarding school, to Unity School, Ejibo, which then was unarguably one of the best, you know, secondary schools in Russian state. And it was a function of academic excellence as well. And I can always recall or reflect uh, um, for for better expression, reflects that that singular action, transitioning from uh, you know local area to a urban center, uh, was a significant turning point uh, for me because um, now in this unity school, I, I wasn't limited by my environment. I I had access to some of you know uh, modern learning and teaching facilities that really you know really spore how to you know, the sense of innovation and creativity within me. And, you know, this is where I had my secondary education. I went on to graduate as the best graduating student and I landed, you know, series of scholarships. Um, I was best graduating student. My result for why was, you know, as of that year, one of the highest top 15 or 11 in the entire uh, nation, Nigeria, because I had eight distinctions out of nine. And that in itself informed, you know, I spent just, you know, between four to six months between secondary education and tertiary education. I was very little, uh, but at the same time, very talented and intelligent as well. Gideon carried forward his intelligence and talent into the university, where he truly began to discover himself. And, you know, going to the university was um, uh, very fast and sporadic uh, for me. And getting into a space like that, I went to uh, a state university uh, where the tuition fees, you know, very much below 100,000. But I had, you know, a scholarship port that was almost amounted to half of a million. So at a very tender age of between 16, 17, I was, you know, commanding quite a substantial amount of money, which is like a scholarship trust fund. And I think the first layer of experiences I had in the university exposed me to understand that what I seemed to be enjoying 
uh, is a function of access and privilege that both my environment that I was coming from and the 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 privileges of you know quality learning experiences or environment has afforded to me, you know, has put me in a very much advantaged position, which the question that situation begs for is what I was going to channel that privileges to do. Because, you know, I, I went to Lautech and, you know, Lautech, I came to like University of Technology in Udbomasho is, is, you know, a university, one's campus is a non-residential university. So its campus is situated uh, at somewhat the end of town. And, you know, every morning or evening, there is this usual, you know, exodus or movement of students from one direction to another, those who are leaving from the university campus to their residential areas. And this is also, can also sometimes be likened to the movement of the Israelites, you know, when they're trying to cross the Red Sea. And we always move alongside some of these disadvantaged children. We call them Lebanese children. Uh, they are scattered across Nigeria who have, you know, emigrated from their countries and you can find them on the streets of, you know, Lagos, Ibadan, you know, begging for money. And um, one of these days, one or two of them had, had approached me and that would be the first time I would be experiencing what I would later know as street children or out of school children. You know, I just see it was unusual. It was an unusual scene for me to see children during school hours who do not have, you know, sleep houses or, um uh footwear or sanders on and you know they approached and we had a conversation i was inquiring from them what exactly is the problem well what are you doing on the streets and you know i got to understand that many of these children are living on the streets their parents are deserted them and that in itself betted the beginning of what i would call my foray into you know social development or you know social impact you know landscape uh, as a whole, because I took some of these children and rode them into school, you know, uh, from my pocket. And, you know, weeks after I learned that many of them left school again, you know, that is when the problem began to um, eat me to understand that this is not something that can be sorted with a makeshift solution. This is not something that can be addressed with a one-time uh, or one-size-fits-all response. And, you know, the curiosity um, you know, started getting to me to start digging deep about the, the challenge that seemed to be very endemic. Gideon's curiosity and desire to do more to solve the problem of out-of-school children in Nigeria set in motion a chain of events culminating in the establishment of the Aid for Rural Education Access Initiative, Area I. And before I knew it, I'd, you know, you know, um, mobilized my colleagues in the university then to start organizing outreaches. Only a few people would know that what we call Aid for Rural Education Access Area High today, you know, started from being called Learn to Lead Foundation, interestingly, because then we go, I mean, as a way of just trying to do something, being, you know, being sport, being angered into action, which is something that I think a lot of, you know, Imagine or evolving or established social leaders are very much accustomed with, you know, you feeling this sense of resentment that, you know, now drives you into taking action. That was the same feeling that that was coming then. You know, we started going to some of the schools, you know, organizing outreaches, you know, preaching the gospel, 
of academic excellence. Until later, I stumbled upon, you know, a, a very interesting character then called Dr. Ken Carters, who, you know, advised and gave more foundational understanding that what we were doing then is rather not a sustainable response to the challenge that we seek to address. And that, you know, marked the beginning of what I would call the area high because I now took out the time to begin to review, you know, policy and program documents. We revised, you know, the vision and strategy of the organization. Even though we were university students, you know, I started using my scholarship funding, you know, then you know, as, an as an undergraduate student to finance some of the, you know, programmatic design and implementation activities of the organization. And, you know, before we knew it, um, by the second to the last year of uh, of being of being in school, we you know executed a number of 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 projects, and uh, I I had not looked back since then. Uh, taking it from you know from just one city, you know Bomoshow or Gambario Bomoshow, to more than forty five cities across Nigeria in more than eighteen states, and I think you know it's really you know very interesting to recount how far we've come and how it all began, you know, uh, as a university undergraduates then at um, uh, at Lautech or Domashaw. So I think that's pretty much how Area I started. Area I, the product of Gideon's passion to tackle the scourge of out-of-school children in Nigeria, was now on its way to change the face of education in the country. And in 2017, Gideon got a further boost when he was awarded the British government's prestigious achievement scholarship to study a master's degree at Britain's University of Sussex. Um, uh, getting uh, you know a funding opportunity like Chevening in itself, it's it's been I marked as a scholarship that facilitates you know professional and academic development for the next generation of world leaders, opinion formers, and you know world shakers. You know, and it was very interesting because when I went to Sussex in 2017, it was mind blowing. It was life changing. It turned, you know, the trajectory of Area High totally from just being a random, usual, quote and unquote, non governmental individual institution into a substantive, globally reckoned and nationally recognized non profit organization working in the field of education. Now, why do I say that? That's because most of the things that I learned and gleaned from the course modules of the course I pursued, a huge example is the foundations for educational planning and, you know, and uh, educational uh, policy planning and implementation, you know, taught by a very renowned professor of uh, international education and development, Professor Kwame Ayempong, uh, is, you know, how do you develop alternative or accelerated approaches of educational provision for disadvantaged populations. You know, using the examples of speed schools from Ethiopia, Liberia, and Ethiopia. And it would interest you that it is, it is this knowledge of speed schools that I took from studying resources that I brought back to Nigeria and turned into something called Fast Track. Now, it will interest you to know that Fast Track at inception as a pilot program, you know, attracted a very interesting funding investment from uh, an organization that belonged to former British Prime Minister Gordon Brown uh, under their, you know, annual Education Innovation Awards. It is that same intervention that was piloted with a financial investment from a foreign institution that recently got, 
you know, signed as a partnership agreement with a national um, institution in Nigeria called the National Commission for Refugees, Migrants, and IDP. Right now, I can tell you that Area High is the sole education provider for IDPs in Nigeria. So in under a decade, what started as an encounter between Gideon and some out-of-school children in the southern Nigerian town of Obomosho had transformed into a leading internationally acclaimed educational charity and think tank. In 2019, Gideon was invited alongside other young global changemakers to meet Britain's Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. I asked Gideon how he felt about that invitation. It was, it was, um, it was transformational. The experience was transformational. So I had, you know, applied to, to, to join the One Young World Summit in 2019. The One Young World Summit is generally referred to as the Olympics of social change makers or young social activists from across the world. And I had applied to a particular funding called the Deloitte One Young World Scholarship. Uh, which was focused on, you know, identifying the top 10 young people working on education and empowerment across the world. And interestingly, I was selected, you know, fully funded to London, UK, you know, to, you know, you know, share the work that we're doing, which predominantly as of that time is, is all about area higher and even T now. So I've been invited to talk about the work that we're doing, particularly on a project we call Education in Bottles, trying to leverage, you know, plastic you know, recyclables to the construction of alternative learning centers. And, you know, it's interesting because I believe that lived experiences, circumstances, opportunities sometimes align to make some things happen, right? So while they were uh, selecting a number of funded One Young World attendees or One Young World Summit attendees who will meet with the Dodgers, they started reviewing applications to look at people whose work reflects the ideological principles, you know, of the work that the Duke and Duchess does. And, you know, they had pinpointed my work. But one of the things that further stood out was the fact that, number one, I was a Chevening, I was a Chevening scholar who studied at University of Sussex, right? Now, remember that uh, Megan Marku and the Prince are Duke and Duchess of Sussex, right? Which is, <laughs> which is coincidentally, right? You know, I don't know if they were actually talking about the actress or sex, because I mean, there is East Sussex, which is the county to which, you know, University of Sussex is, you know, located in the city of Brighton, right? So it was later on that I learned that that was one additional profile indicator that played in my favor, which is really interesting, right? And um, being put in the same room with them is, uh, it's very rare for me sometimes to be starstruck. And this is not because I refer or regard myself as a star, not, it has nothing to do with that. But I always find opportunity like that to be reflective of how far I had come, you know, to be able to, you know, be a field, such kind of once in a lifetime opportunity of being before, you know, royals. And, you know, it, it, it was a good sense of accomplishment because I tell people uh, in our work, which is social impact, right? If you are going to find those who are dedicated to this job, it will be very hard for you to know they are on a path to financial freedom, right? That is not to, to say that 
They don't make hands meet. But you won't compare that to those who are, you know, deep neck into the work of entertainment, who are deep, you know, into the, you know, the world of, you know, paid football, um, um, you know, careers, or those who work in real estate, for example, or who work in tech currently, right? But that is not to undermine, right, the incredible work that we devote our lifetime to do, right? And because of that, some of the things that come as a form of compensation sometimes is some of these award and recognitions that help us to sit and reflect and, and get appreciated and recognized, right? Those things, when they come, helps to mend the wound or the gap of when sometimes the thought wants to creep in to say, you know what? Are you feeding well? Are you surviving well, even though you're devoted to this work? But beyond that as well is having people look right into your eye to tell you that you may not know it, but we read about your work and we appreciate what you're putting in. Because at that point in time, it is not even more about me. It's, be, it's, it's now about Wonderful. It's not about Ayo. It's not about Charles, about Edith Young, about Fumi, and many others that I work with back home in Nigeria who wake up every single day to turn up at work and put in their effort to what turns out to be the brilliant work we do at Area High. Sometimes I take their voices, their aspirations, their desires to these global tables. And when someone says Area High is doing a great job, I do not take that accolade for granted because it does not only belong to me, it belongs to all the 22 soldiers that I work with right now who makes our work tick. So there's a lot of, you know, lessons, um, reflections, you know, insight that comes uh, from moments like that and from that particular moment as well. And I would say, I would say, it would be good to point out that that meeting actually kick-started a series of very interesting happenings, you know. And that's why I said sometimes you do not know one singular event that happens and changes a lot of things around, you know. That that exposure, you know, brought more attention to the organization. People began to read about us. You know, we started getting emails, you know, from even international organizations and local funders as well to say, we like what you're doing. We like to do this. We like to do that. And, you know, it, it is really great to release the importance of occasions like that for somewhat struggling leaders like myself. It takes one event to turn an emerging leader into an evolving leader, and it takes an event to turn an evolving leader into an established leader. And that is what that kind of event did for me uh, from far back in 2019. An imagined leader into an evolving leader. An evolving leader into an established leader. For me, these words encapsulate Gideon's entire story. It is the story of a young leader who imagined the world with more children in schools and evolved himself to a point where he is now an established leader in making that happen. Before I ended our interview, I asked Gideon what would be his advice to other aspiring young leaders in the development space. And his response was a single advice. I say, I say, get mentors, right? Now, 
On the other hand, I'll say get mentors, you know, physical mentors, people you can refer to and ask them questions and, you know, learn and glean from their wealth of knowledge and experience and exposure. On the other hand, I've also learned over time that mentorship is not delimited or limited by space and time. And through that, I preach the concept of mentorship by observation. I have some set of individuals that I've never met Oh, interestingly, I've met one of them. There are seven in all. No, no, no. I've met three of them. Uh, I mean, my office and right now I'm looking at seven of them because I have their pictures on my wall. I call them my seven inspirational pillars. And out of these seven, I have met three of them physically and, you know, interacted with them. Now, of all of these, of all the seven, before I met even the three that I met, I have studied read articles, read stories, read books written by some of these individuals or all of these individuals. I have learned from their work just by merely following them via social media. That is what I refer to as mentorship by observation. There are so many mistakes I would have made if I had not followed suit in the direction of some of the things that some of them are doing. And I think that in itself is nowhere talked about. The sacrosanct essentialism of intergenerational mentorship. A lot of people neglect what you can glean and learn and unlearn or relearn if you have somebody point you in the right direction. Sometimes when you carry the cross of passion, you get yourself at the crossroad that has 99.999 directions, right? The ability to know which one to turn to becomes the responsibility to know where to turn to gets a little bit lessened by having someone to say, if you turn in direction 2.7, this is what and what will come because I've followed that part before. That possibility can save you two years of redundant functioning. Because trust me, there are some people who function in our space in social development and is unarguably visible right that they've just been revolving in just one location for multiple years and that in itself can be changed through the power of mentoring right and like i said it doesn't have to be physical right you can learn mentorship by observation if there will be one thing it would be get mentors This episode of The Climb Podcast was hosted and edited by Jewel Atetupright. Special thanks to Prince Gideon Olarenwaju for allowing us tell his story. The Climb Podcast is a podcast collaboration between the Channels Media Group and the Feroz Lalji Institute for Africa at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Thank you for listening.